Today can be a complicated day. Along with it being the sixth week of the sixth Sunday in Easter, it is also Mother's Day. It can be complicated because life is complicated, because people are complicated. Relationships aren't always how we'd like them to be. Sometimes this is a day that brings up a lot of loss, a lot of grief, unmet hopes. There are a whole host of cultural expectations and pressures that can bring on stress, feelings of inadequacy. And there have been a ton of articles written this past year about how the pandemic in particular has put an extra burden on many mothers, um, parents in general, but mothers particularly. And this day falls in the context of our practice of celebrating the merry, merry month of May. We are intentionally lifting up women's voices, characters of women. We are intentionally working to expand our language and our ideas about the divine feminine, about the Mother Mary, about the practice of mothering. Struck me um, as interesting, I was in the grocery store yesterday and the woman who was helping me check out my items asked if I was a mother. And I had a pause, I was like, oh, it's so lovely to be asked and she's gonna celebrate, yes. I said yes and I, um, she said happy Mother's Day. And I thought to myself, how would she have known that I was a mother? I wonder if she's asking everyone, every woman, every woman of a certain age. And then I thought, chances are she noticed that I was buying some chicken nuggets and that tipped her off that I might have little ones at home. But then I asked her, are you a mother? So I wanted to return the good wishes in kind and she said no. And I said, well, thank you for mothering. Because in that exchange, in that moment, she had nurtured me. She had seen me in a way. I don't even know her name, and I'm not sure if our paths will ever cross again. But she, in that small and deeply profound way, engaged in the practice of mothering. In a culture with a strong history of the patriarchal perspective, where most of our descriptions and pronouns for God are masculine. This month is a practice in seeing, in seeing each other, in seeing differently, maybe even more so in hearing differently. Many of you may be familiar with the mystic Julian of Norwich. She died on May 8th, which was just yesterday, in the year 1416. And when she was a woman, she had, she was very, she thought she was dying, she was very ill, and she had a series of revelations, which overwhelmed her, and which she wrote down as the first known book written by a woman. She believed that since the scriptures teach that all of creation was brought to life, was birthed through the second person of the Trinity, that Christ is our mother. Christ, our mother. She brought into this theological idea of the Trinity, of our one God who is three persons interacting, moving, belonging, in relationship to each other. She brought into the Trinity the idea of motherhood along with 
fatherhood. This is an excerpt of some of her writing, which we call the canticle, the song of our true nature. She writes, God is the ground and the substance, the very essence of nature. God is the true father and mother of natures. We are all bound to God by nature, and we are all bound to God by grace, and this grace is for all the world, because it is our precious mother, Christ. For this fair nature was prepared by Christ for the honor and nobility of all, and for the joy and bliss of salvation. Her writing echoes so beautifully what we heard in the gospel, what we heard in both of our scripture stories that come from John. The gospel story, this this piece happens right after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. Jesus has dismissed Judas. And he is speaking to the eleven, to this group that have been with him for a few years, to this group that he has been teaching as a teacher, to this group that looks up to him as their master, as their leader, as their rabbi. And it feels like he is imparting like all the last bits that he wants to make sure they understand. And he's setting them up. He's filling them up with what they may need to carry them through the next few days, the next few years, the next thousands of years. In many ways, Jesus in this story, it's like he is speaking directly to us, those of us who are not sitting at his feet, but those of us who who, um, seek to live in the ways he has taught. So what's the first thing he says? He says, abide in my love. Abide in God's love. Abide in love. The message uses the translation, make your home in God's love. I wonder what that would mean for you. I wonder just what comes to the top of your mind. What does it mean to practice abiding in God's love, drawing close to the source, to the ground of our being. Maybe it's a practice of exactly what we are doing right now, gathered together in worship, in song, in story. Maybe that experience for you is is more a sense of being outside and listening, Listening to the sounds of the wind moving through the trees, of the birds chirping. Noticing the nuances of the way the air feels at different times of the day. Maybe it is sitting in quiet prayer, basking in God's love. Jesus invites us to engage in a practice that will fill us up. Because, he says, he has so much joy. And he wants this joy to be in all of us. And not just little bits and little glimpses of joy, but he wants us to have so much time to root and marinate in God's love that this joy grows to fullness. Grows to almost take over our bodies from the inside out so that it spills over. And then Jesus says perhaps one of the most profound things, I think. 
he says to these 11 who he's been teaching, these 11 who had trouble that he was going to kneel down and wash their feet, he says, we're friends. Because friends, they share what they're thinking, they share their intention, there's nothing held back. Friends are on the the same level, if you will. No one lording over, no one bearing the weight from underneath. We are friends, he says. You know me, you know who I'm about, you know what I'm about. I want this joy to grow within you. And then he reminds them, I chose you. I invited you into this. And I think that choice, that choosing, extends to all of us, all of God's children throughout the ages. And then here's the so that. Abide in God's love so that the joy may grow because you are my friends, because I chose you, so that you may go out and bear fruit. So this love that you've been marinating in will grow and spread and move beyond this little room of 11 people to eventually this group of us gathered here today. It is the the gentlest and the softest of power in a way. And yet it is fierce and strong and pervasive because it is still growing today. Which is why this feels like a particularly perfect scripture, a particularly perfect practice to talk about on Mother's Day. I've never questioned the roots or the history of Mother's Day. I don't know if you may know this story, but this week I decided to look it up and discovered something interesting. At least I found it interesting. Mother's Day was first established in the early 1900s by a woman named Anna Dress. And she petitioned and campaigned to create this holiday in honor of her mother, who was named Anne-Marie Reeves Jarvis. Anne-Marie Reeves Jarvis, she was the daughter of a Methodist minister. She married a Baptist minister. So I imagine that her life was bathed, was marinated in God's love. Well, when she was... An adult, she organized the Mother's Day work clubs in her town, and then they spread to the other towns around near where she lived. And the intention of these work clubs was to improve the health and sanitary situation of the families in the area. They did things like raise money. They would hire someone to go into a house where the mother was ill or absent, They also did things like inspect bottled milk and other foods. This was way back in the 1800s. This woman was quite a radical. Doctors supported the work that she and her work clubs about, and so it started to spread to other towns. This one woman had such an impact on the health of the people around her. And then... The Civil War came into her town, her area, and she encouraged women that were part of her work clubs to care for the soldiers, regardless of which side they were on. She worked to maintain harmony, to keep us 
whole in a time where we were deeply fractured. And then at the end of the Civil War, when her town was particularly divided, she organized a Mother's Friendship Day, with the intention being to bring together both sides so that the work of healing could begin, so they could begin the work toward reconciliation. There was a lot of fear and concern about how this day would play out, but it worked. It was a peaceful day of bringing both sides together. The story says that the soldiers from both sides ended up singing together. So her daughter, out of such love and respect for this woman, who was quite the community organizer and social activist, wanted to establish a day in her honor and in honor of all of the work that mothers do, all of the work of mothering, seen and unseen. I find it ironic, as the story continues to unfold, that by the 1920s, this woman was frustrated with the way the Hallmark movement and the floral industry had started to commercialize this day. She felt it was moving too far away from its roots. And in the 20s, she was actually arrested for disturbing the peace when she was protesting some of the work that was happening, some of this commercialization work. And here we are today, celebrating this day. Celebrating this day that is rooted deeply in God's radical, transforming love. What would this world be like if we all, each and every one of us, engaged in the practices of mothering? If we made space for something new to grow, if we nurtured, if we fiercely protected and encouraged. This love, this love that Jesus is talking about has been growing and spreading and spilling forth and bearing fruit for thousands of years. I wonder where the next few months will take us as it manifests in and around and among all of us. Amen.